morning, everybody. It is so, so good to see you all here today. And, and if you would, just do us a favor right here at the very beginning. If, if you would take that Connect card from the seat back in front of you and, and, and fill that out, uh, you, you can turn those in at the black boxes in the back of the auditorium on your way out today. But, but that would mean the world to us. If you have any prayer requests or anything like that, you can fill those out on that Connect card. And we have a prayer team that would love to be able to pray with you, um, pray for you this week. And if today is your first time to join us here at LeClaire, thank you so, so very much for spending a part of your Sunday morning with us. And if you would hold on to that Connect card and take it to our Welcome Center in the lobby, we have a gift for you today just to say thanks for being here. Now, this week I've spent, you know, a little bit of time on social media, and as I, whenever I log on, I see that there are a bunch of pictures on there right now of, of, of graduates, you know, a bunch of graduations taking place and everything, and so from us to you, we just want to say congratulations to all the graduates, high school, college, and to all the families. That's just such an incredible, incredible accomplishment, and uh, we're, we honor you, we celebrate you, and again, we're just so grateful that you would spend a part of your time with us today. And if you are somebody who calls LeClaire your home, uh, we, we have a special ask for you. We cannot do this ministry without you. And so if you have your tithes and your offerings today, you can turn those in at the black boxes at the back of the auditorium on your way out this morning. So a, a couple of times a year, two to three times a year, um, I sit down with, you know, oftentimes my, myself or, or, or with our, or, you know, some, some of our staff and, and really just try to spend as much time in prayer thinking about what is it that we want to talk about from this stage to you all. And so a few times a year, we'll, we'll sit down, we'll plan out like five, six months worth of sermons at a time. And, and, and so I don't remember if it was late last year or early this year, we sat down to talk about this and it was just so heavy on my heart. I know it was heavy on Daniel's heart, but we wanted to spend some time talking about how we as Christians view sin. I have believed for, for a while now that, that oftentimes we as Christians notice the pronoun that I'm using there. Like this is not a you problem. This is a, a, a we problem that, that there are times that, that we as Christians don't grasp the seriousness of our own sin. While we may be really, really good at grasping the seriousness of another person's sin, we may not always be great as grasping the seriousness of our own sin. And so this led to the series that we did in February and March. We did a series on the seven churches in the book of Revelation, and it, it, it led to this series that we're continuing today because I believe with everything that I have that at the core of the world's issues today is sin. I know that that can sound overly simplistic, and trust me, whenever I say it, 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 it feels overly simplistic to, to say, but, but, but the pain, the suffering, the turmoil, the tension, the division that we experience in this world, all of it is a result of sin. All of it is the result of a fallen people living in a fallen world. And if I want to take this a step further, I, I would say this, that, that, that all of, 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 of the trials and, and all the pain and all the suffering that, and, and all the, 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 you know, the, the, the problems that you experience in this world, that the root of all of that is sin. The pain that you experience, the suffering, the turmoil, the tension, 
the division that you may experience, all of it is the result of sin. The result of a fallen people living in a fallen world. It's the reason why I, I pictured the Apostle Paul whenever he was writing the, the letter to, to the Romans. And, and he, he's sitting there and it's like, okay, how can I best explain the seriousness of sin? Like, like how can I, I, I get this picture across that the sin is not something to be messed with? What is it that I can say? And, and he came up with this. For the wages of sin is death. It's death. Like it's the absence of of life. It's the absence of anything that is good. The wages of sin is death. And now, I don't think anybody would disagree with anything, or at least disagree too strongly with anything that I've said up to to, to this point. But here's where the tension kind of comes into play. Dealing with sin is hard. Dealing with sin is painful. It's time-consuming. It's messy. It requires humility. It requires a willingness to listen, and it requires a willingness to respond. It requires a willingness to surrender. And none of those things are fun or pleasant. And so it's really no wonder to, to, to me that, 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 that we tend to respond to sin the way that we do. And I don't mean this to be rude, and, and I promise I'm not trying to speak in, overly, you know, in, in, in an overtly gen, uh, generalizing way, but, but by and large, if we are faced with dealing with our sin or adopting a more culturally acceptable way of thinking and living or a more culturally, culturally acceptable way of speaking and loving or a more culturally acceptable way of viewing the world... It's no wonder that at times we tend to elevate certain voices and certain opinions above God's word in our lives. Because if we are faced with dealing with our sin or finding ways to justify our sin, it's no wonder that we have become masters at justifying our actions, at justifying our words, our thoughts. It's no wonder that we've become masters of of the ever so popular whataboutism. If our options are to deal with our sin or minimize our sin, I get why we choose to minimize our sin. And here's why I get it. As a fallen people living in a fallen world, this is our natural reaction to sin. Ever since the Garden of Eden, it's been clear that that the reaction to sin has been to justify sin. The reaction to sin has been to minimize sin. The reaction to sin has been to shift the blame from your sin onto anybody else, any chance that you get. But here's the problem. For those of us who claim to follow Jesus, we are not called to live in the natural, but we are called to live in the supernatural. As the Apostle Paul would say, we're not called to live in the flesh, but we are called to live in the Spirit. We are called to allow the same Spirit, listen, the same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead to be the driving force in our life, not our own fleshly dreams or desires. And Paul makes this abundantly clear in Romans chapter 8. You should go read it today. In the Spirit, we do not justify our sin. Instead, in the Spirit, we own our sin, we confess our sin, we repent of our sin. 
In the Spirit, we don't compare the scale of our sin with another person's sin. In the Spirit, we don't play the whataboutism game because, all this, because we understand that all sin separates us from God. Not only the sins that we tend to find especially heinous. So that's why we wanted to do this series. We don't want to run the risk as a church in any way of minimizing our sin Instead, we want to own our sin, deal with our sin, confess our sin, repent of our sin, be driven to the cross by our sin, allowing the Holy Spirit to be the driving force in our lives so the way that we, 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 we think and the way that we talk and the way that we text or we tweet, the way that we treat people, whether it's personally or virtually, all of it is driven by the Spirit for the purpose of becoming more like Jesus. But this simply isn't possible if we don't recognize the seriousness of our sin. And so, like I said, we, we planned out this series five to six months ago, but as so often is the case, what we get to talk about today is just so, so timely with what's going on in our world today. So, before we get to that, I have a question for you. If, if I were to ask you, you know, like, whenever you think about the people who had the biggest impact on the New Testament, if I said, name the five people who had the biggest impact on, on, on the New Testament, you don't have to do this out loud, but, but just think, who are the five people in your mind who had the biggest impact on the New Testament? I'm guessing that one person you would say would be Jesus, right? Like, you would say Jesus. <laughs> I hope we would all say Jesus. Jesus had a huge impact on the New Testament. Maybe some of you would say Luke. Luke, you know, the author of the Gospel, Luke, the, the author of the book of Acts. Maybe some of you would, would, would talk about John. You, you have the Gospel of John. You have 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. You have Revelation. You have, you know, some of John's ministry being mentioned throughout the book of Acts. You know, I, I'm guessing that maybe some of those names, but I feel so, so confident that at least two of the names that that would come to your mind would be Peter and Paul. Peter and Paul's influence can be felt all throughout the New Testament. With Peter, you, you, you can see his impact throughout the Gospels. You see him as one of Jesus' right-hand men throughout the Gospels. We even know now today, or at least most scholars believe, that, that Mark's Gospel is really Peter's Gospel, that Mark was a disciple of Peter, and so you kind of get that part of Peter. You even have a couple of letters later in the New Testament that, that Peter wrote to the early church called First and Second Peter, you know, whenever it comes to the Apostle Paul, you feel his effect all throughout the New Testament because, I mean, 13 of the letters and books in the New Testament are attributed to Paul. And then you look at the book of Acts, and, and a huge, huge portions of the book of Acts are, 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 are reserved for the ministries of Peter as he's helping, you know, deliver the gospel to the Jews. And then the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul, it's, it, 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 it's everywhere, but... But, but did you know that, 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 that Peter and Paul, these two guys who were on the same team, these two guys who, who held to the same mission, but, but, but did you know that Peter and, and Paul actually had like a, a public confrontation one time, that, that, that Paul had to publicly oppose Peter for some of his actions that ran in conflict with the heart of Jesus? It's kind of like for those of you who like Marvel movies, you know, the, the Captain America Civil War, to where you have Captain America and Iron Man going at each other, like, like they're, they're, they're kind of squaring off. That's, that, that's essentially what this is the New Testament version of that. And, and, and this encounter, this opposition, it takes place in Galatians chapter 2. And, and Galatians is one of the 13 letters that is attributed to the Apostle Paul. Paul. 
And the purpose of this letter was that, that Paul wanted to make it abundantly clear that, that whenever you come into a relationship with Jesus, that, that you experience a freedom that is indescribable, that, 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 that there's an indescribable uh, freedom that is available to you through Jesus. That, that God's love for you is not dependent upon your performance for him. And this is both so, so freeing and so, so frustrating, right? It's freeing because there's nothing that you can do to make God love you any more or any less. And it's frustrating because there's nothing that you can do to make God love you any more or any less. And so in the first 10 verses of Galatians chapter 2, Paul tells this story of how after 14 years of ministry that he took this trip to Jerusalem to meet privately with some of the prominent church leaders of the day, guys like James and John and Peter. And Paul's purpose in this meeting was with them was to, to, to share with them the message that he'd been preaching to the Gentile believers. And the reason that Paul did this was because there was a, a Jewish sect of, of, of Christians, this, this Jewish group of, 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 um, of Christians who, who were known as the Judaizers. And, and the Judaizers had, had this message that had kind of infiltrated the, the church. And, and, and the message was this, that they, they claimed that for a Gentile believer to be able to be accepted by God, that yes, they needed Jesus, but then they also needed to follow the Jewish law. And that's a problem. Because anytime you add anything to being accepted by Jesus is completely dependent upon Jesus. Anytime you add something to that, you take it away from being the gospel and you immediately make it a false gospel. And so Paul, in the name of transparency, in the name of unity, he, he went to James, John, and Peter. And, and after these guys heard what, what Paul was preaching to the Gentiles, they affirmed Paul. But they didn't only affirm Paul, they affirmed Paul's message. And then they encouraged him, they, they commissioned him, in a sense, to, to go and preach this message, to continue to preach this message to the Gentiles. Well, Peter would go and continue to preach to the Jews. But before we get to the opposition in Galatians chapter 2, there's another story that we need to be made aware of in, in the New Testament. It's found in Acts chapter 10. And, and in Acts chapter 10, we find the story of a Gentile Jesus follower by the name of Cornelius. And one, one night, Cornelius, he, he, he had this vision, or one day, Cornelius, he, he had this vision. And in this vision, he was told to send for Peter. But then the day after Cornelius had his vision. Peter also had a vision. But in Peter's vision, he, he saw like all these animals everywhere. And the vision was telling Peter, get up, kill, and eat. Now, this was a problem for a, a, a Jew like Peter. A, the, 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 this was completely contrary to everything that he had been taught growing up. This is completely contrary to every way that he had ever lived his life because to do such a thing would, would, would be unclean. And, and one of the greatest fears of any Jew would be to be seen as unclean. And so Peter, he immediately protested to what he was being told to do, but then the voice in Acts 10, verse 15, it says that, but then the voice spoke to him a second time. And the voice said, Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. 
The implication is this. Things are no longer what they once were, Peter. And while Peter was trying to make sense of everything that was happening, the men that Cornelius had sent the day before, they, they finally arrived with, with the invite for Peter to go back to Cornelius' house. And, and so after a good night's sleep, they all got up the next morning and started heading that way. And once they made it back to Cornelius' house, once Cornelius saw them coming, Cornelius immediately got up and went out. And, and honestly, he, he made things a little bit uncomfortable by, in, in the way that he paid his respects to Peter. But you have to understand that whenever Peter was coming, that was such a big deal. Peter, he was preceded by his own reputation. I mean, this was the Pentecost preacher that was coming to Cornelius, but... But, but once they got everything squared away, they made their way inside. And, and whenever they, they made their way inside, Peter noticed he sees this, this large group of Gentiles who are all gathered there. And listen to what Peter says whenever he sees this group. In verse 28, he said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. This is so, so huge. Because it's one thing to believe something. Like, it, it's one thing to believe that Jesus came for all people. This is so applicable to us in this day still. It is one thing to believe that Jesus came for all people. It is one thing to believe that Jesus called all people. But then it's something completely different to see the spirit of Jesus poured out on a group of people that you never thought that would be possible. And then Peter, he, he began to speak, and, and he said this. He said, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but he accepts from every nation the one who fears him and the one who does what is right. Then by the end of the night, Peter would baptize Cornelius and his entire household. And, and it would appear, and, and I mean, I think all of us would assume, and rightfully so, that, that after such an experience, that after such an encounter, that after such an evening, that, that Peter would continue to meet with and eat with and associate with Gentile believers, and we would be correct in that assumption. It looks like that's the case. Until one day when something changed. And so back in Galatians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11, it says this. When Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, Paul, said, Paul, Paul says this. Paul says, I opposed him to his face. Because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, and that James was a leader in the church in Jerusalem, before certain men came from James, he used to eat with Gentiles. That's that, 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 that tense that he's using there. It's like he made a habit of eating with Gentiles. But when they arrived, when this other group arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the, to, to, to the circumcision group. And the other Jews, they joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas, who was one of Paul's right-hand men, even Barnabas was led astray. Now, in our culture today, there is still so much beauty that takes place around the table. 
One of my favorite things that my wife does for our family is she makes sure that every night that we gather together around the table. But in Jewish culture, this was especially true. The table was essentially the place of acceptance. It was the place of approval that if you were gathered around the table with somebody, that was your way of saying, these are my people. They belong to me. This is one of the reasons that the religious leaders had such a problem with Jesus. They didn't like who Jesus would allow around his table. They didn't like that he would allow the drunkards around his table, that he would allow the prostitutes around his table, that he would allow the tax collectors around his table. And so Peter had made a habit of of inviting the Gentile believers around his table. But then whenever this certain group of people showed up, the people who Peter didn't know what, what, what they might think about his association with the Gentile believers, Peter would then step back and distance himself from the association with this with these Gentile believers. It's, it's essentially the equivalent of the first century middle school lunch table. Except it's with adults who are supposed to be leading the church. And because of Peter's influence, again, this is the Pentecost preacher. Because of Peter's influence that he had on so, so many, when his actions that were full of hypocrisy were noticed, he drug others into his hypocrisy with him. And his actions posed such a great threat to the unity of the church that Paul could not just stand by and let it be. Now, I think that there are some misunderstandings on what unity means. I think sometimes we, we, we believe that unity means that, that we just let, you know, you do you, I do me, and we'll all just be happy, right? Like, like it, it's all about keeping the peace. But Paul is making it abundantly clear here that we don't ignore problems for the sake of unity, Unity is not something that is passive, but unity is something that is worth fighting for. And so the Apostle Paul, when he, he says this in verse 14, he said, he said that when I saw that they, were acting in line, that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas or Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force the Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Paul says to Peter, you were not acting in accordance with the gospel. The biggest threat to the church today are Christians who are not acting in accordance with the gospel. The biggest threat to the church today are people who claim the name of Jesus, but then live a life that looks absolutely nothing like him. The biggest threat to the church today is not someone or something out there. It isn't this evil, blatant opposition to Christian values. The biggest threat to the church today is the church. When the church is not acting in accordance with the gospel. And Paul is saying that that this division, that these actions, that they cannot go unaddressed. He's, He's saying that any prejudice against another group of people has no place in the church. 
that as members of the family of God and as a part of the body of Christ, that we don't get to exclude brothers and sisters from our table because of peer pressure or because of a non-essential disagreement or because we simply feel like it. It seems that, that, that there's little that this world enjoys more than division. It seems that there's little that this world enjoys more than creating tribes, than creating enemies, than magnifying the us versus them mentality. But in the body of Christ, this cannot stand. Whether it's a prejudice that's based on, on what we perceive to be successful or unsuccessful, whether it's a prejudice that's based on sex, whether it's a prejudice that's based on age, whether it's a prejudice that's based on political views, whether it's a prejudice that's based on cultural and ethnic differences, whether it's a prejudice that is based on race, none of it has a place in the church. All of it is divisive, all of it is evil, and none of it is of Jesus. And the root of it is all, and the root of it all is sin. The greatest threat to the church today are people who claim the name of Jesus but live nothing like him. The greatest threat to the church today are people who claim the name of Jesus but do not live in accordance with the gospel. Peter was wrong. Paul called him out to hold him accountable and to work towards complete unity. James, the half-brother of Jesus, I mean, he put it like this. He says, my brothers, and my, my, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, you must not show favoritism. Is that clear? He continued on in verse 8, if you, if you really keep, like if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, what's the royal law found in Scripture? It says, love your neighbor as yourself. If you really keep that, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. And following last week's racially motivated attacks in Buffalo and in Orange County, California, my friend Chad Ragsdale, he, he wrote this blog post, and, and there was this one thought that, 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 he, that he wrote down that really just caught my attention. He said this, history testifies to the fact that humans tend to trust those in our group and regard others as a potential threat. And throughout most of history, such a suspicion was even key to survival. However, the gospel produced a novel, even miraculous idea. It was the radical idea of a common humanity, that we are all of the same family, precious in the image of God. There are an endless number of things in this world that can separate us. But the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus can bring us together. And it supersedes them all. So much so that just hours before Jesus' death, he spent, he spent quite a bit of time praying. And in his prayer, he even spent time praying for us, like the, the future church. And, and this is what, what, what he said. He says, my prayer is, is not for them alone, talking about his disciples and those who, who were going to kind of kick off the church. My, my, my prayer is not for them alone, but I also pray for all those who will believe in me through their message, and that's you and me, that all of them may be one, 
Just as, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. And what happens? What happens whenever the church decides to fight for unity, to have uncomfortable conversations in the name of unity, to stand together because the cross is more important than anything else that can divide us? What happens whenever we stand in complete unity? He says this, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. One of the things that tends to happen whenever I, I, I preach messages like this, whether it's here or somewhere else, is I'll go out in the lobby afterwards to tell people thanks for coming. And inevitably, it's like somebody, wherever it is, will, will, will come up to me and say, you know what, Andy? I really wish fill in the blank would have heard this. I really wish so-and-so was here. They really need to hear this. And I get it. But today, can we please fight back against that urge? I even said this to Daniel this week. Like, like, like my, my prayer as, as I was writing this week was, man, God, I hope that everyone who hears this message feels like they just totally wasted their time. I hope that you all just are like, man, I, I like going to church and all, but I didn't need that one. That one wasn't for me. I so badly wish the prejudice didn't live in the church, in us. I so badly wish the prejudice didn't live in me. But I'm afraid that's not always the case. And so my prayer turned into this, that we wouldn't run from our sin, that we wouldn't minimize our sin, that we wouldn't seek to justify our sin, that we would fight the temptation to what about ism our sin, and that we would do the hard work of facing our sin, and that we would be driven straight to the cross, straight to the hope that's found in Jesus because of our sin. And like I said, I don't want to speak in generalities. I don't want to project my sin onto anybody else. So, so there may be some of you whom God has truly delivered from the sin of and all the evil of, of all prejudice. And, and to you, I, I would say, don't let down your guard. Don't give the enemy a foothold. Remain humble. Remain committed to unity. Committed to the ways of Jesus. Continuing to live in accordance with the gospel. But for the rest of us, would you please join me in this prayer tonight, today? It's going to be up here. Read this with me if you want to make this your prayer. 
Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Can you repeat that with me one more time? Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Would you pray with me this morning? Jesus, I thank you so much for the hope that we have in you, and I pray with everything that I have that, 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 that your Holy Spirit will convict us today where we need to be convicted, that your Holy Spirit will encourage us today where we need to be encouraged, that your Holy Spirit will move us today to, to reconcile what we need to reconcile, Father, that you will give us the, the, the three seconds of boldness that's needed to be able to sit down and to truly face our sin. And then you will give us the humility to not only face our sin, but to listen to what your spirit is telling us inside of our souls. And you'll give us the boldness to respond in a way that honors you. Jesus, whatever it is, May the way that we treat people, may the way that we see this world, may it all be in accordance with you, Jesus. May it all be in accordance with the gospel and the way that you treat people and the way that you see the world. Will you help us with, with those that, that, that we keep at an arm's distance, those who we may believe are so, so far off base, Will you help us to respond to them the way that the father responded to the son? The prodigal son, whenever he saw his son who had squandered everything, who was so far off, whenever he saw his son coming, he ran to him. He opened his arms and he smothered him with kisses, with kindness. Jesus, may our hearts be like yours. And may we be like you in all that we do. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen. So right now